0: this podcast was created on messy create your own show today at messy.fm Let me rank and episode thirty-three. Oh, God Almighty! How's it going, sheddies? I'm back in my shed. It's been a couple of weeks with Christmas and everything. Actually, I take that. You know what? A lot of podcasts didn't take place during the Christmas period because people are busy. I was no more busy than I normally am. I just uh, I just got lazy. I just couldn't be asked with it for whatever reason, and now. There's really no better time to record a podcast because here in sunny Rio Rancho, New Mexico, in the middle of the desert um in the southwest, it is a fucking blizzard. It is white as fuck um not ethnically or culturally, just the weather, the snow I started this see this shit I've started the podcast by talking absolute bollocks. It doesn't matter. I'm in my shed. It's fucking freezing out, um, and so we're everyone's snowed in. We're all snowed in. I've been in. I've been indoors with my house. With my house, I've just been indoors with my house, hanging out, getting to know it intimately. If you know what I mean. Um, I have been hanging out with my son today, playing with Lego. Um, he got some Lego for Christmas, and we put it together today. I say we. Uh, it was mostly me. And uh, you know, it's fucking fun. I love doing I can see why Jack Knoll's so into it now. Jack Knoll is famously into Lego. How did that become a thing that we all knew? Did you not know that? What are you, stupid? Jack Knoll loves Lego. He builds Lego shit all the time. And I would love to join him. I enjoy it too. I'd like to have a Lego party. With- do you know what? Mall over podcast. Hashtag rug- um, rugby content. Knoll's house party. Jack Noel invites friends to play Lego. I haven't thought it through. You get the gist of it. Um. Anyway. Yeah, it's snowing. Um, but it's nice. It's cozy in my little shed. It is fucking cold. Um, freezing cold here right now. Oh, and speaking of uh, penis shrinkage, uh, I had a horrible show the other night. I did a what's called a house show. I was doing a comedy set at a show in Albuquerque for a local comic who puts on house shows in his living room. Now, he doesn't have a big house. In fact, it's not even his house. This is what's weird. It's a friend's house completely unsuited to doing a show, really. I mean, it it was fine. But wherever you are, um, whoever you are, whatever you are, whyver you are, uh, look at your living room and imagine trying to put on a comedy show in there. That's what it is. Now, there's a few problems with this. First of all, I don't like people very much, and uh, I don't want to hang out. I don't want to hang out with people. I certainly don't want to hang out with audience members before I do a show, because there's a thing when you do stand-up comedy where you're supposed to be – now, (laughs) this is going to come across as very arrogant, but hopefully you'll understand what I mean. As a comedian, you're supposed to be a god, okay, you're supposed to be a God that they summon and you appear on stage. Now they shouldn't see you beforehand standing at the back of a crowded room, drinking Powerade like I was getting into weird conversations with weird people asking me what I'm going to be talking about and all that shit. It completely dissolves the illusion of what you want with a show, which is we are gods who appear, manipulate your minds, your thoughts, your emotions control you and then leave disappear and then we only exist in your prayers we might be there as you're leaving for you to pay tribute to but that's it so i don't personally like being in a you know being in a crowded room with the audience before a show then it turned out i desperately needed to take a shit the problem was if you're taking a shit in this little house you're basically taking a shit on stage. You're basically taking a shit with the audience because the toilet door is right next to the performance area, what we'll call the stage. And um, for some reason, (laughs) I needed to take a shit and I couldn't. And that should have been the end of it. But for some reason, I went up on stage and just started telling everybody how badly I needed to take a shit, why I hadn't taken a shit, Including this. Now I may have said this to you before. I used to have this bit about this, um, and I don't think I've told you this told this to you before, but I'll tell you now so you can imagine how just gross and weird it was for the audience. Basically, I don't like taking a shit right before I perform stand-up, because when you take a shit before stand-up, before performing, it's a nervous shit. Okay, because that's the thing. I do need to shit pretty much every time I have a show. You need to take a shit when you get nervous. That's a natural response. For whatever reason, we like to evacuate our bowels when we get a little bit nervous, okay? And the problem is, it's never a a healthy shit at that point. You never have a nice, solid turd before a performance because your tummy isn't you're not actually ready to take a shit yet. It's not a natural shit. It's the nerves that do it. So you don't really have shit ready it's not finished right it's not finished baking it's really just a shit batter in your intestines and it just comes dumping out it's gross and then and this happens before every show when i take a shit i look at my penis and my penis always looks terrible like way worse than normal just shriveled up and sad and um i noticed this was a trend I noticed this kept happening that every time I would take a nervous shit before a show that my penis looked bad and I googled it to find out if it's normal and it is. Penis shrinkage is apparently a normal response to stress. So men, are you aware that when you get scared, your penis shrinks? That's good, isn't it? That's helpful when you're nervous. Like Honestly, when you're when you're already feeling insecure as i am before a show the last thing you need is a small penis that's like the opposite of what you would really really want a big penis before you go on and so on but this is the body's best idea this is the thing it's just decided somehow that penis shrinkage is going to help you when you're scared it's almost like it's like you know those old cartoons where you would see inside someone's brain and instead of a, or inside their head, but instead of a brain, it's just little elves at computers. You know, what I'm talking about that cheesy old, but pushing buttons and shit. And they're freaking out in my head before a show. And they're just like, Oh my God, I'm pushing buttons. I don't know what to do. Sir, sir. Eddie's getting nervous. He's nervous. What do I do? Listen, just calm down. Let's just fucking let's shrink the penis right now. Okay. That should help. This is a very physical bit. It's better if you hear me say it. But anyway, I go on, let's see, penis shrinkage, check. Did you make him shit himself? Okay, good, check. And now just we'll erase his memory so he forgets the rest of the bit. It's along those lines. It, you get the the gist of it, and you you understand why maybe an audience wouldn't really enjoy that. It's not that clever or funny, and it's really gross. And I didn't even tell it as well as I just did then, uh, which was not that well. Um... So essentially, I went up in front of all these fucking, I'll just call them losers. Um, very, it was a very, you know, probably a very nice audience, but rather beta, if you know what I mean. It was kind of a nerd fest and it was kind of, uh, I think I came out too hard and aggressive. I was wearing a tight T-shirt and I was being a bit cocky, um, which they don't necessarily like. So then I had to sort of be self-deprecating. I thought talking about shitting my pants would be self deprecating or i guess self-defecating enough but not enough for them so i had this horrible moment i was only doing 10 minutes really short set but i went out with this stupid literally shitty set um complain about my penis and then just went off just had to rescue it after three minutes i wanted to run out of talk about fight or flight i wanted to well fight and flight i wanted to run out of the building punching people in the face screaming it was rough but then i got them back everything was fine i like managed to sort of go and start talking about my kids and made it a bit more innocent and then i ended up talking about the prostate for a long time that was fun uh but jesus christ i it it, for some reason it bugged me i don't like not killing destroying that's a term in stand-up if you don't know for doing really really well it's it's very interesting in stand-up all the terms for all the phrases for having a successful set are violent you kill you destroy you rape you know you fuck them in their asses you cut their balls off and stick them down their throats and shit all over them anything you can think of skin them alive and fuck their parents Anything awful like that is a good set. Anyway, I didn't do that. I came out and took a shit in front of them. And then I just sort of gave them a kiss on the cheek and apologized and left. Anyway, that's a fairly standard uh, intro for Rugby Rant to Ban. So I, 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 I usually sort of apologize for not talking about rugby, but it's a given, right? Don't really talk about rugby for the first 15, 20 minutes. I'm sorry if that's bad. I think it's a good thing because, you know, who gives a shit about rugby? Um, did you have a good Christmas sheddies? Did you get a new shed? I didn't get anything for my shed. I feel like someone should have got me some shed themed gifts. I need a new door for my shed. Um, do you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to just for fun. I'm going to set up one of those, what is it? Patreon accounts for people to to donate money. And what I will do is this literally just popped into my head. I will only use the money towards the shed and Whatever I put the money towards, I will engrave the name of whoever contributed to it. So, for example, I want to get a new door for this shed. I'll figure out a way to do it on a budget. Whenever whenever I have that money, I will put the door up. I guess not engrave, maybe paint. One way or another, I'll have tribute. This door was provided by, and the, you know, 5,000 people who donated 25 cents or pence, whatever you want to do to it will be forever a part of it. Is that a good idea? Probably. I'm still pissed off that look, I'm drinking Monster Monster Hydro Tropical Thunder. Delicious. It's a it's a like an energy drink that hydrates you really well and it's delicious. But I shouldn't really hype them up because I can't believe they haven't sponsored me. Do you remember back in the day in the early days I was constantly trying to get sponsored. I was unofficially sponsored by Monster. Um it's just a stupid They don't give a shit. They weren't giving me money, but I wasn't really getting them any uh, business. So not quite sure. Probably just a slight mental breakdown on my part. But whatever. Eventually, they'll probably sponsor me, those idiots. Um, But speaking of Christmas presents, by the way, I can see my breath in the shed. It's that cold in here. Just check the penis. It's fine. Um, Oh, fuck me for Christmas. Did I already talk to you about this? See, I don't know if I did because I planned a podcast last week, which I didn't do. And I can't remember if I just planned to talk about this or I talked about it the week before. Um, But we ordered things online. Most people do that, right? At least in the US. Do you do that in England? You order shit from Amazon or whoever. And we ordered shit from Walmart. Oh, I think I did talk about it, but there's a second part to it. So I may have told you we ordered some shit from walmart.com. It didn't come. So it wasn't going to be here on time. So we had to get our money back and then I had to go and buy the shit from the store. Now the good thing is the online price was cheaper than at the store, but because we'd ordered, we, because they offer it online for that price, they honored that price at the store. So this is what happened. I ordered some, some video games. They didn't come. We emailed them. They re- refunded our money. No questions asked. And I said to my wife, This is weird. Like we could have just said we didn't get them and got the money back. So anyway, go to the store, go to the shop, buy the new games, same price. We've got the games. No problem. No harm, no foul. Slightly inconvenienced. Except that two days later, my wife texts me and says, Eddie, you fucking shed based retard. Um, No offense if you're retarded. Um, um, (laughs) We did get those games. You put them on the shelf with the other gifts. I had no memory of doing this. So, essentially, I did do what I said we could do. We stole these, we got free money for the games, told them we didn't get them, got our money back. And then, because I'm not stupid, I returned the the games at the store and got my money back there. So, they I got like a hundred bucks and free games. I'm a piece of shit. No wonder I had a shitty set the other night. That's life getting back at me for being a criminal. But anyway, isn't that crazy? I guess it's not that crazy. And people say, oh, Walmart are cunts. This is why. This is why they don't pay their employees enough. Bastards like me. Anyway, it's been a very intense fun two weeks of rugby the last two weeks of rugby in the gallagher premiership i very much enjoyed and there's been all sorts of shit over the weekend we're going to get into all of that it's rugby rantabanta episode 33 let's go Okay. Halfway through the season now. Now, as I mentioned earlier, and no doubt you know, I missed a week. I'm two weeks. I'm a week behind. And uh, obviously, I'm not going to go back to all the matches from a week ago. But I might refer to them a little bit because there's a few things that I wanted to talk about that I didn't have the opportunity to. What I'm probably going to do is just bounce around a little bit. I'll try and go match by match, but it's going to be disorganized. Um, But let's start with that Northampton-Exeter match. Who saw that coming? Nobody. It's amazing. I I I thought it was going to be a fairly comfortable uh, victory for Exeter. And now look at that. Northampton mid-table, sixth position. Fucking crazy. Exeter still top even after the loss, but... It was a weird match. I remember making a note, because believe it or not, I do make notes um, for this podcast. Um, but I remember making a note. I don't remember at what point it was, but it was, you know, a decent chunk into the match. Just saying that Exeter's game plan must have been to at least contain Kobus Reinick because he hadn't done anything. And literally, the second I finished writing that, he intercepts a pass and scores a try. Again. What a player he is. Now, I said this um, at the beginning of the season, and I'll say it again. The three best scrum halves in the Premiership are all South African. you got Fafta Francois Hucard, and Kobus Reineck. Those are the best scrum halves in the Premiership. I find that very interesting because the traditional view of South African rugby is obviously big hard forwards that's when you think of south african rugby Springboks. you think of big back rowers big fucking props just a big nasty strong pack but the reality is scrum half seems to be their biggest wealth like i said they've got three scrum halves not even playing in south africa who are the best maybe the best. Well, I don't, I'm not going to say all three are best in the best in the world, but they're right up there if after clerk. You could, I mean, was almost player of the season. Uh, I think you, there's a good argument that he is the best scrum half in the world right now. Francois Huchard, when he, I mean, when he plays for Worcester is very often the difference between them winning or losing. He can win, win games single-handedly as can apparently Reineck, which I didn't think, uh, I knew he was good, but fuck me. Fast. Um and then of course the greatest scrum half to ever play the game. used Van De Westhaisen. A lot of people want to say Gareth Edwards, but I don't the the greatest scrum half to play the modern game, to play professional rugby, Ust Van der So that's just interesting, I thought. Quite the opposite of the of the big meaty forwards, actually. Scrum half, which is traditionally typically the smallest player on the pitch. That's where South Africa seems to really have their gems. Of course, they got good forwards too, but whatever. I'm not going to start talking about the fucking Springboks anymore. Um, where did that Saints performance come from? Some of the offloading was just, I'll say it again, delicious. Delicious offloading. And um, the line speed also in defense was insane. It just You can just tell that they were really, really, really fucking up for it um they were up for it and pierce francis he got injured early on but uh he might be the most underrated player in england in that a lot of people myself included have um well i haven't i haven't made fun of him but i have agreed that it's a bit ludicrous that he was just sort of swanned into the england squad when he came back to england from uh whoever the fuck he was playing for in New Zealand, I can't remember, um, didn't really seem like the best option. But now, over time, whenever he has played for England, he's played well. And he's playing well for Northampton, um, very consistent, a good all-round player, the kind of player that you would want in an England squad. And the kind of player that I thought, interestingly, was, um, his opponent for briefly, like I said, Piers Francis did get injured and had to leave the pitch. But um Oli Devoto, who he was up against, I always, I thought, I've thought for the last few years that it was inevitable that Oli Devoto would be that player in the England squad, the kind of almost like a Mike Cat squad member who not necessarily going to start every game, but invaluable able to cover injuries come in to do a job because what he's got is he can play fly half and center he's got that um i think he might even be able to play fullback i'm not sure but he's got that versatility plus he's got the skills that you need to play fly half and inside center and also what you can't learn just the size and physicality to do it um but for whatever reason, he's never really made that step up. He's—he's—I don't know. If, I, I know he's had some injuries, but for one reason or another, he really just hasn't been able to string a bunch of games together for a, for his club side um, when he was at Bath and now at Exeter. He's never really consistently had back to back to back games to prove himself. But it's a shame because I always thought he would be that player for England, and, and he may still. I don't know how old he is, but um, speaking of not being available. I wonder if James Haskell's ever going to earn his money for Saints. I don't know how much money he's on, but he's basically not played for them. And uh, we're halfway through the season. I find it frustrating. Um, I I guess it's just part of the professional game. Sometimes you have a situation like this. You have a James Haskell, or even worse, Manu Tuolangi, who for, for years was unable to play on a huge salary. And now Ben Teo as well at Worcester um oh fucking hell speaking of Benteo but I, I i i picked him for my I, I signed him for fantasy rugby and then forgot to start him and it was a fairly slow scoring weekend of fantasy rugby and i lost narrowly and i'm pretty sure if i'd started Benteo he scored a try it might have been the difference between winning and losing god damn him sorry <laughs> i'd rather he hadn't scored and hadn't played and got injured and died than uh have that situation anyway um just looking at this match from a an England perspective again I feel like Alec Hepburn has fallen way down England's pecking order since he played uh because he was sort of starting after Mako Vinopolo got injured and was was unavailable but he really did not do much for England did he I just I'm used to seeing him you know Just explosive, relentless, refusing to go down in contact, exciting, fast, dynamic. And he didn't really do any of that for England Um, and hasn't really been doing it that much for Exeter this season to the point that Ben Moon has been a far better option for England. So it's a bit of a shame. Hopefully he can get it back. But um, I think he might just be a bit too lightweight for for international rugby at prop, Um, because when you see him on the pitch in the premiership even he just he doesn't even necessarily look like a prop he looks like he almost looks like he could be a center i don't know what his official weight is but that's what i think might be going on um let's see uh i'm I, you know what i'm really i really miss seeing jack noll play speaking of players being unavailable um, earlier he's hardly ever playing for exeter or england now i hope that it's not going to be that way for the rest of his career because he's a he's always i always say he's my first name in an england squad i don't always want him starting but i always want him in the squad um because if he's not starting he's such a great impact player off the bench and of course very versatile um i'm one of the few people who actually liked the experiment of putting him at center which most people seem to view as a failed experiment but how long did he play there for England? Fucking 10 minutes before someone got injured? I can't even remember now, but I know it wasn't really fair on him. Anyway, that's the Saints Exeter match. That's everything you need to know. Gloucester versus Sale. Brutally physical. Well, brutally physical match. And then brutally physical press conference. What the fuck was that about? Um, Bullygate, we'll call it. God, it's annoying, isn't it? People just use the, just put gate at the end of something, but I'm going to do it, bully gate. Um, Above all else, okay, you've probably read plenty about this. You have your own opinions, whatever. Nobody thinks that it was like cool of Steve Diamond, obviously, but I'll tell you what, I find it just incredibly embarrassing more than anything else. For Steve Diamond and Sale, I'm embarrassed for them. How can... Like, you might not think it's that big of a deal, but how can a a grown man, an adult, 50 years old, act like such a fucking child in in a a professional environment? I mean, it's ludicrous. I, I, do you know what's weird? I've actually considered the possibility of him being involved with England. It's like, I, I. I've always sort of thought he does a good job at sale and I and I was willing to entertain the idea that he could be in the discussion for um, managing England, which you might find absurd. Some people find that ridiculous. Well, I do now because you can't have someone like that. I actually think people are underplaying just how awful it was. Because, like, I mean, look, look, look I get it. We'd all on occasion like to start on someone. Sometimes it's just, it seems like the best way of dealing with the problem is threatening to kick the shit out of someone, you know, um, a co worker or a neighbor or your wife. Just kidding, just kidding. Um, you know, but we live in a fucking so called civilized society and there's just no place for this kind of bullshit. How the fuck can you be the head? of a professional sport team and think that you can try to fight a journalist I can't for saying something that you didn't like that's all it was like and and I've noticed on social media some people are siding with the journalist whose whose name escapes me right now and some people some people are telling him to shut the fuck up about it I don't really I don't know I don't know the history of this guy or this journalist I don't know if he's caused problems in the past I, I, I don't know, but it's undeniable. Steve Diamond acted like a fucking child, and it's embarrassing, very embarrassing. And I don't think he's being dis- disciplined for this at all. Uh, hopefully he'll, he'll learn for it at 50 years old. Fuck me. I said on Twitter that um, Steve Diamond can't handle his steroids because I've looked at it for a long time. He's got that aggressive behavior, and he's built, for fifty-year-old, he's pretty physically intimidating, um, and he, now he's he's acting like he's got roid rage. Um, I think. I, oh, I said, I said Steve Diamond has roid rage or can't handle his roid rage or something, and then somebody whose last name is Diamond said it's the it's 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 all in the genes or something, which I presume means it must have been his brother or someone related to him saying that's just the way they're wired. Okay, fine. But um, if Steve Diamond is on steroids, I wonder if he's given some of them to Chris Ashton. This is not an accusation, although I could accuse him of it. No one would give a shit, but it's not an accusation. But I find it interesting that Chris Ashton is – supposedly the fastest he's ever been at 31 which is not usually how nature works i mean it's it's possible if he was not training the right way his entire rugby career and now he's getting real sprint training and and working out the right way and taking the right legal supplements but um he does seem a little bit more explosive Uh, i don't give a shit if, it, if it's good for him and it works for him and he plays for England, it works for England. That's fine. But I'm going to go, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Steve Diamond is on steroids and so is Chris Ashton. They, they stick needles in each other's butts before matches and then they go crazy. Um, Let's see. There's a few things that happened in that match. First of all, I'm, I'm glad that sale won, even after Steve Diamond went fucking mental. There's just something about sale that I really like this workman-like attitude they have um this kind of um i feel like they more than any other team in the premiership are not affected by the occasion like they can go to saracens they can go to exeter they can go wherever and they're always going to put in a fucking solid performance and um that's what they did against Gloucester. They, I mean, they certainly weren't intimidated going to the shed. Not my shed, the shed. I'm just in a shed, but the shed. Um, but there were some interesting things that happened. Uh, first of all, I should say, I specifically stopped watching this match after about an hour um, because I got too high. I smoked some weed right before, and then I found that uh, what happened was the commentator... This is so stupid, but this is how my mind works. And you might be able to um, empathize with this. The commentator who's doing a perfectly decent job. I don't know who it was. It showed uh, the camera pan to David Humphreys and he referred to him as a former Irish mercurial scrum half. Now. I couldn't handle it. I'm sure it was just a slip of the tongue. No doubt. You know, but when he referred to David Humphreys as a form of uh, scrum half, I lost all faith in him. And I, at that point I had to just throw the commentator over. That's what it felt like. It's like, I feel like the commentator when there's just one commentator is very important that he, you have to have faith in him because otherwise it's like, it's like the captain of your ship. Once you know, he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing or he's drunk. You just got to throw them overboard. And that's what I did to this commentator. And by that, I mean, I stopped watching the match. Does that make sense to you? I fucking hope so. But anyway, bloody stupid, I know. But commentators are really important, you know, especially when they're on, on their own. It's much harder when there's one commentator doing the rugby, it's kind of like podcasting. This is much harder without someone to bounce ideas off of. That's why I have these long protracted silences from time to time, or I stutter and go, um, but, uh, whatever. I'm sure you've abandoned episodes of rugby ran to banter before. Maybe you already have, in which case, fuck you, even though you can't hear me, but it is hard, which is what, but then some commentators do it brilliantly. I'm thinking Sam Roberts, who is so good. I do you know what? He's so good that I I could and I actually have had a rugby match playing with Sam Roberts commentating and I just listened to him and I don't need to see it. That's how you know they're good at the job. And it fucking, have you ever tried just for fun commentating on a rugby match? It's fuck, It's completely impossible. You can't remember players. You can't remember your own name, let alone the fucking players. It's unbelievably hard. And he does it so well. And in that, uh in the, Saracen's match, he was commentating it. There was one point where he said that was a humdinger on the winger. It was a tackle on a winger. That was a humdinger on the winger. First of all, anytime the word humdinger is used, I'm I'm happy for the rest of the day. But to rhyme when using it, come on, that's skill. Anyway. The Gloucester sale match. Any other points I wanted to make? Um Oh. I do you know what really pisses me off right now? Deliberate knock-on penalties in yellow cards. Here's the thing. How the fuck? So, the FAFTA clerk, he got yellow carded for for uh, attempting, an inter- attempting an intercept. It um, was considered cynical with no realistic chance of catching it. I think that's fucking bullshit. I don't think that you shouldn't be allowed to run into the space of a pass looking for an intercept just because you can't exactly see where the ball is going to be. If you can read a pass and you know where the ball is going to go and you run, but the pass is so fast that it sort of just bounces off your hand. The referee is going to say that you had no realistic chance of catching it, but you did because you put yourself in that position. You ran into the space where the ball was going to be. And I've actually talked about this before. Um, I don't even think that deliberate knock-ons should be penalized. I think you should be allowed to do it. I, uh, Uh, a friend of mine in America who doesn't really watch a lot of rugby and doesn't understand it was talking to me about this and he couldn't understand. He said, well, why, why should you, why shouldn't you be allowed to just smack the ball out? If someone's, if someone's going to score, why shouldn't you be able to dive through the air, smack it forward and stop the try? And I'm like, well, it's because, you know, it's all supposed to be, it's negative behavior. It's not in the spirit of the game, but you know what? You don't want them to score. And you could argue, well, you can do that, but then you will pay the price and they will get a penalty try and blah, blah. no, I, I I think they should just get rid of it because I do not see that it would negatively impact the game. I don't think that players would just run around wildly swinging, striking at loose passes to stop people scoring. They're still going to try and intercept. And if your game plan is just, oh, try and smack the ball when people pass it, you're going to get torn to pieces because you're not going to be able to do it every time. And then you're not in position to tackle. So that's a, uh, a part of the game that I think is ri- just ridiculous. I think you should be allowed. I don't think there should be penalties for even deliberate knock-ons. How'd you like that, you might disagree strongly. It doesn't matter because I can't hear you, so I'm right. Okay, let's move on. Wasps versus Harlequins. Right off the bat is Dombrandt? Now I can't remember his first name. What's Dombrandt's first name? Let's Google it. You know how I do this thing where I start... Googling and I talk really slowly uh, trying to act like everything's fine and I'm not sidetracked. I've typed in Dombrandt Harlequins. Alex Dombrand. Thank you, Google. Um, is it too soon for him to be called up to England? Is he going to find himself in contention for the England squad before this World Cup? It, it, it's too close to the World Cup, right? There's not enough time. But you know, they brought Ted Hill into the squad very early. You could argue that he's a young player, that Eddie Jones wanted to just give him some experience. It's probably the case. But how how old is uh, Alex Donbrandt? Let's see. Uh, who gives a shit? He's young too. I'm pretty sure he's pretty young. Um, I feel like he's done considerably more for Harlequins than Ted Hill had done for Exeter. And I thought Ted, Ted, Ted Hill's obviously a good player, and I know he scored a bunch of tries, but so was Alex Dombrand. And he's also put in some massive hits. And some ma- he's been quite exceptional. He's not going to be in the England squad. I know he's not, but it would be interesting if he was. Um, what else happened in this Wasps versus Harlequins match? Not the most exciting match of the weekend, but still pretty good. Josh Bassett, again. I was just thinking Josh Bash, I'm surprised that Josh Bassett has not been more in the frame for England selection if that makes sense. I'm surprised his name it doesn't come up more often. And I may have said this on a previous podcast. I think the problem is he is fast but not lightning fast and he's tough but not stupid tough. And he un- but he's, he understands the game really well. And speaking of tough, he did fucking bump Kyle Sinclair off of him. He ran Carl Sinclair over. That's not easy to do. Um, My favorite point of the match was uh, Le Bourgeois' hilarious drunken attempt to kick the ball. If you didn't see it, don't worry about it. If you saw it, you know what I'm talking about. Mike Brown. Sorry, I said his name wrong. Mike fucking Brown. Two weeks in a row, phenomenal, amazing. And my new pet peeve. This is really pissing me the fuck off. First of all, it's outrageous and ludicrous that people don't understand that the England 15 shirt belongs to Mike fucking Brown. It's no one else's. They let Elliot Daly use it for some reason, but it's Mike fucking Brown's shirt. What's pissing me off now is that the the, the latest trend is commentators and fans alike will say, "Oh yeah, Mike Mike fucking Brown." being dropped by england is actually very good for him because it's actually made him raise his game he's used his anger that we all know he has um and through determination he has raised his game so that he will get back in the england squad no he hasn't he's always been that good he's always he hasn't had a slip in form he's been fucking phenomenal he was one of, if not the player of the tour in South Africa playing out fucking position on the wing. And now what's happened is a lot of people who said, oh, I think it's, we need someone more exciting at fullback. Elliot Daly would be, would be a better option because he's faster and more, has more flair. And you need that to win the world cup. Absolute bollocks, absolute bollocks. And now everyone's, instead of going, we were wrong. Mike fucking Brown is the best fullback in England. Instead of saying that, they're going, oh, now, yeah, you know what? I think he should get the shirt now because we all said he shouldn't be. He should have been dropped and, he, and and it's good that he was dropped because it's made him a better player. That is not true. That's bollocks. It was a terrible decision to drop him. Um, Criminal, criminal decision to drop him. And he's just doing what he always does, which is being the best fullback in England. I took a deep breath and I had nothing to say. What the fuck? Well, you know what was in my head? Alex Goode as well. I'll get into that. Um, I I just saw a note that I had from last week's match. I don't know what happened, but it says, Mike fucking Brown does it again. And then in quotes, he can't pass? Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Because that's what people say is that he can't pass most delicious offload i can't stop saying delicious offload now but it's the best word for it most delicious offload since the last time i came in my wife's whore mouth i that's weird all right anyway that's how i feel about mike fucking brown you know who else impresses me um from this match or has impressed me for wasps in general is will roland um he always plays well Big, strong player. And by the way, he looks like the former French second row Fabien Pelouse. And that's the only reason I really brought him up. Google um, Will Rowland and Fabien Pelouse and then see how similar they look. Um, now, and going back, sorry, I'm, I am told you I'm all over the place. Going back to the fullback debacle with Elliot Daly preferred to Mike fucking Brown. Are you kidding me? At fullback? Um, Going back to that. Elliot Daly... Ha- has been making some stinkers um in that particular match what the fuck was he thinking with that hospital pass to Sopoanga you know what I'm talking about where he sort of flung it into it it, was inside of him but not in the position that he wanted him to be so he just threw it to where he wished Sopoanga was and it went to shit there's been too many of those moments um He's making a bit of a habit of silly decisions, and that's not what you want from an England fullback. And look, I do like Elliot Daly. I think he's a great player. Um, I, I much prefer him on the wing or at centre. I suppose outside centre is where he should really be played, unless he should, he has to be in the team somewhere. So I'm happy with him on the wing or outside centre, not at uh, fullback. That's, that's just silly. Um, and by the way, there have been some... Some people, I can't remember where I heard this. It might've been egg Chasers a couple of weeks ago, but somebody talked about, um, how Elliot Daly had a bit of a pissy attitude. I've noticed this for a couple of seasons. I remember at least one season ago, maybe two. Um, he was in a match where he, he was penalized for something and I cannot remember what it was. Um, but he couldn't handle the the decision and whatever it was he was wrong the referee made a decision like said he knocked on or something and he was convinced he hadn't but whatever it was when you saw the replays the ref got it right and i wanted to jump through the tv and fucking kick him in his face he would not stop you could just read his lips he just kept going that's fucking that's absolute fucking bullshit that's absolute fucking bullshit <sighs> that's absolute fu-. like every time he looked at him he was like shaking his head and acting like a petulant child. And that's when I first saw it. And you know what? I think it's uh, symptomatic of wasps right now. they got some issues. Uh, in the 53rd minute, uh, the scrum half, Hampson, gave a admittedly poor pass to Cooper Woolley. And Cooper Woolley, like the ball hits the floor and Cooper Woolley kind of knocks it on. And he jumps up and screams at his scrum half. Wasps have issues. They definitely have issues um mind you it wasn't the biggest uh it wasn't the biggest strop or a little tantrum from a player in that match because joe marler it was actually probably my favorite point of the weekend joe marler was pissed off with the referee he's yelling at the ref i can't remember who the ref was yelling at him the ref to tell him to shut up he won't shut up So the ref speaks to the captain who for some fucking reason is the Harlequins replacement scrum half, whose name I can't even tell you somehow he ended up being the captain at Quinn's. So he talks to the, to the scrum half, the scrum half says, Oh, can I talk to my player? He goes, yeah, he goes up to Joe Marler and essentially Joe Marler just pushes him away and tells him to fuck off. And (laughs) you have to see it. Uh, I wish I'd written what time it was at. Um, he goes to speak to Joe Marla and Marla just sort of shrugs him. I'm going to get the fuck out of here. It's hilarious. I loved it. Um, although I am convinced Joe Marla is a bit of a prick. Um, but who cares? Let's see. Anything else from that? Oh, of course, the, um, there was this the spit gate. We'll call it spat gate, really, because they had a spat over some spat. Um, now, I don't know what other people... This has probably been discussed ad nauseum because... My problem is I'm always behind on rugby matches, so I don't I ignore social media um, rugby discussions. And I ignore the rugby results and rugby news in general until like Monday or Tuesday because I'm always at least a game behind and I need to not have that result spoiled for me. So um, I suppose I won't even talk about it. I feel like I had something to talk about. What did he do? He stamped on him? Did he stamp on him? He spat. Did he spit on him deliberately? I don't know. I don't care. Uh, I just wanted to say Spatgate. Uh, Anything else? No, we'll move on. Saracens versus Worcester. Right off the bat, there was a weird point in this game. So Carl Dixon was refereeing, doing a good job. But there's this weird part. There was a ruck. And uh, Carl Dixon told... uh, Callum Clark was trying to get the ball. He stole it. He picked up the ball. Carl Dixon told him to release the ball. And so with this weird, like, guilty expression on his face, this nerd, like, scared expression, he just sort of gently tosses it back on the Worcester side. And then the game plays on. It's like, first of all, if he he was taking that ball illegally at the ruck, that should have been a penalty against him. But then no matter what, even if for some reason Dixon doesn't want to penalize him, he throws the ball forward. So you play knock-on advantage. It was fucking weird. Um, the ruck in general was weird in that match. Do you know what? Equally as much as the uh, deliberate knock-on situation is pissing me off, playing the nine at the ruck is very confusing and very annoying and stupid, that whole situation, because... So when you play the nine at the ruck, does that mean... I genuinely am confused by this because of the way that it's refereed. Presumably... Playing the nine means playing whoever is acting as a nine in that situation. In other, in other words, whoever's at the base of that ruck prepared to pass the ball or pick up, right? Or does it mean, rather than it be whoever's acting as scrum half, is it the number nine for some reason? Just just because you've got a nine on your back – means you're untouchable because that's the way it seems to be refereed very often it seems like a ruck isn't formed but someone gets penalized for rucking the scrum half out of the way what i mean is someone gets tackled if the first man there from the tackled players team is the scrum half you should be able to ruck him out of the way that's what's going to form the ruck but very often when that happens the ref will blow blow up not literally blow up, but blow the whistle um, and uh, say that you were playing the nine. But surely that isn't the case. Anyway, that that's something that needs to be sorted out because it happened in this match and it's happened in other matches. Um, now, I was talking earlier about Mike fucking Brown. I took a breath, couldn't speak because I suddenly Andy Good popped into my head. How insane is it that England is blessed with two world class fullbacks in Mike fucking Brown and Andy Andy Great, good good. (laughs) fucking hell. Why am I always... I'm trying to come up with these fucking stupid names. Mike fucking Brown and Andy Great, we'll call him. You got Andy Great playing for Saracens. Consistently amazing. And he can't even get near a squad. It's insanity. It is insanity. How can Eddie Jones afford to not have Mike fucking Brown and Andy Good... Sorry, Andy Good. Sorry, Andy Great... In his England squad. How can he afford to answer? He can't. It's ridiculous. Ben Earl is fucking good, isn't he? I remember when Ben Earl got picked for England uh, in South Africa, and I thought it was fucking absurd. Um, but I see what I see what's going on with him now. I For me, it's a shootout between him and Zach Mercer for who England should take as a more dynamic, younger athletic back rower for the world cup. If they decide to go that route, which I expect, eddie jones won't but if he does want to have just a high energy mobile back rower number eight option it's a straight shootout between those two zach mercer and uh ben earl and i couldn't give a fuck which way they went because i like both i'd probably go with zach mercer i think he offers a little bit more flair um he's a little bit more if anything else or if nothing else i think he's a bit more fun to watch but i would have no problem with uh Ben Earl being in the England squad now Uh, after seeing him play a little bit more. um, Owen Farrell is so good. That was annoying the way I said that, wasn't it? Um, He is though. He's so fucking good. And yes, he's a bit of a twat. And yes, I'd hate his fucking guts if he wasn't English, if he was Welsh or Irish, I would fucking hate him. So I get why other people hate him. His face is annoying. His fucking smug, pissy, smacked ass expression on his fucking cunt face is annoying, but he's English. So I love him because he's so fucking good. We're very lucky. There's a, there's a, there's a hot debate now. I'm, I'm really pleased that people are still saying that they think having George Ford at 10 with Farrell at 12 is the right, is the right way to go because I personally would rather keep Farrell at 10 and have uh, George Ford as a, as a sort of plan B at 10, but I'm glad that there was, we were in danger as a nation of supporters of going a bit crazy with um, George Ford A lot of people were sort of acting like he's some little shit pussy that shouldn't be in the England squad. But in a Leicester team that has underperformed most of the season, George Ford has been bloody good all season. Um, And physical and and fast and doing everything he needs to do. And again, it's a great position to be in. If Eddie Jones picked uh, Ford and Farrell combo again, I wouldn't have any beef with that. It's not the way I'd go, but I I can see why he would. And I think it can work. And I think it is one option. And it's great that we do have these two. People are scared to say world-class nowadays. People used to say people throw the word world-class or the term world-class around too haphazardly, But I don't think we say it enough. Um, Owen Farrell and George Ford are two world-class fly halves. And we have them. And then when you consider that there's always Danny Cipriani as an option... This is a really good position to be in because what you would ideally like is, well, I mean, ideally you'd like 50 world-class players in every position. But what you would hope to develop in a squad is three players in every position that you would be very happy with starting, that you would be very torn with. And that's the way it is right now with England. A lot of people want Farrell at 10. A lot of people want Cipriani at 10. A lot of people want Ford at 10. I would really have preferred it if Marcus Smith had been in the discussion, but he just hasn't been played enough. He just hasn't, for whatever reason, he hasn't really got enough time for Harlequins, and he certainly hasn't been developed for England the way that I would have liked. But that's fine. It's fine. He's so fucking young. He'll get in there eventually. Uh, Too soon. The World Cup is too soon. But, like I said, if we're in a World Cup and Owen Farrell starting at 10, I'm happy. If Ford's starting at 10, I'm happy. And if there's a disaster and they're both injured, Danny Siprani is the kind of player that will thrive on that pressure of being now, being the man to save the day. Um. Let's see. Oh, I've got dogs scratching at my, my door. Um. These goddamn fucking dogs. Anyway, um... I remember nothing else from the match, the Worcester Saracens match, except that Worcester were very competitive for a long time. And for some reason, I've just seen that I wrote down Bryce Heeman. So in reference to Bryce Heem, doesn't need any explanation, does it? Bryce Heeman, he's in my fantasy team, has got me, I think he's my highest point scorer in my fantasy team. Let me just check on these dogs and let them in, let them in the shed. Stand by. I'm stiff! Hello? Who's out there? Puppies? Oh my god, there's nothing there. Hello! Come in here! Woo-hoo-hoo! I got scared there. I thought I was imagining things. Oh no, these dogs are so fucking big. They're, they're only three months old and they are. Oh my god, you gotta get out of here you know the jokes oh hello zulu johan sorry this is not entertaining at all but i got two poor little okay so these are big beastly pitbulls puppies but they fucking hate the cold they do like playing in the snow but they hate the cold um i'm gonna pause this and we'll get back to rugby in a minute because they're trying to destroy the couch hold on Oh, sorry about that. Puppy situation. Puppy gate, we'll call it. If there's ever a situation where they tear their puppy gate down and cause havoc, that will be known as puppy gate gate. I'm an idiot. Um Oh, those dogs, fucking hell. Seriously, if you've never had or been around pit bulls, that is just awesome dogs. And obviously they're tough as fuck, but they do not like the cold. They have virtually no fur. Um so it's a bit of a pain in the ass that we got these dogs in the middle of winter. Um, bizarrely though, the snow they cause they're like puppies. They're like kids. They love the snow. As do I, it seems to make it better when there's lots of snow. Cause when it's just freezing cold, they just hate going outside. But when there's snow, they run around and jump in the snow, even though it's cold. So anyway, back to the rugby <laughs> for fuck's sake, what was I talking about? I think I just said Bryce He-Man and nobody knows why. um, The Bath-Leicester match. Okay. I want to talk... Okay. I don't give a fuck about most of that match. Um, I will say very quickly, McConaughey, uh, Rory McConaughey, is probably going to be an England player one day. I know he's played sevens for England. Incredible how good he is this early into switching from full-time sevens duty. Um, So there's that. Um... I thought the call by J.P. Doyle, the referee, who's a good referee, but that the jumping over the tackle thing for um, what's his fucking ass. God damn it. Look at these puppies threw me off my game. Someone was scoring a try. His goddamn name escapes me. Fucking South Africa legend Francois. You know who I'm talking about. This is very embarrassing. Anyway, to penalize him for jumping over the tackle by Ellis Genge, who is practically sliding along the ground without using his arms. I think you just let that shit go. That's not a day. You know, you, you don't want people jumping over is jumping into the tackle is how I always heard. it. You're not supposed to jump into the tackle for player safety. I think that was a close enough to being just a straddle. Let it go for fuck's sake. Um, and very quickly, also the ruck situation, obviously the ruck situation in general is a joke nowadays in rugby. But I also, another fucking bugbear of mine is this not rolling away at rucks where there is no way they could roll away. I don't remember who this happened to. It happens in every match, I think. But I think it was Zach Mercer, actually, just completely trapped in a ruck, doing everything he can to roll out the way does sort of get out of the way, maybe slows it down by a second. I just don't see how you can penalize someone for that. It's fucking stupid. But listen, all I really want to talk about is Ellis Genge. Now, let's rewind to week 11. Because we just had week... What are we on? We're on round... Oh, we'd know. We're, we're on round 11. Oh, fuck you. Let's rewind to round 10. Leicester against Harlequins. There was a moment... First of all, Ellis Genge an unstoppable juggernaut might be the most physically impressive player in the premiership, the most explosive mobile fucking price. He's, he's incredible. He's going to be a world superstar, an amazing player, but there was a moment in the match against Harlequins where he was fucking with, uh, Carl Sinclair and Carl Sinclair, told him he was being a fucking bitch but not in a like get out of my face or i'll fuck you up you little bitch way in a kind of please stop bullying me way i imagine it takes a lot to him to intimidate kyle sinclair but ellis genge was doing it in that match and there was a moment i'll never forget right after that happened the ref told him to calm down he turns away from the harlequins pack. Walks back towards his teammates, winks at someone, and the smile on his face told me not that this guy is capable of killing someone, but that this this man has killed someone. That was the smile of someone who has killed multiple people, allegedly. Ellis Genge, to me, is a stone-cold murderer. I don't know how many people he's killed but i know he's beaten them to death and he doesn't even give a fuck that's what that smile said to me so it was i had two feelings one was fear and the other was relief relief of thank god this man is english and playing rugby because if he wasn't english I wouldn't want him playing against England. And if he wasn't playing rugby, the killing would just continue. He'd keep killing people. This is what, this is what he's born for. People like that have to play rugby or MMA should be fighting something like that. I actually think rugby is a better idea. I don't necessarily think it's a good idea to get someone like that and have them kick the shit out of people. I think you would channel it into a sport. That's a better idea, but, um, we should be breeding he needs to have sex with this is getting weird we need to have some kind of breeding program he needs to reproduce with a vunapola preferably a female i think that's the only way you can do it no offense to people who want to reproduce with their own sex um or gender why well, i don't i don't know um we need to get a breeding program going where we produ- we have genges and vunapolas and uh, they also, as I've said in the past, need to get their fucking ears cropped pitbull style because I do not want to be looking at Mako Vinopola's ears. I don't want to look at them. Why doesn't he tape them up properly? Why doesn't he wear headgear? Why doesn't he do anything? The obvious thing is, like I said, get them cropped, get them trimmed. He could, Mako Vinopola's ears are so flattened out and pancake-like he could get them trimmed and you wouldn't even know it would look more like a normal ear fuck i wish he'd do that anyway um but on the subject of ellis genge terrifying man great rugby player but in this particular match against lester i'm sorry against bath i go I, I i've noticed this before i feel like ellis genge sulks a little bit when things aren't going his way. And I don't know if you've noticed that. But throughout this game, he was not playing his best. And it all started, he if things weren't going great, and he knocked the ball on and he had a weird look on his face of oh great, everything's shit now. And I know that look because I that's how I am. I just go, fuck this. I'm not even playing now. I feel like he has a little bit of that about him that hopefully we can uh I say we someone can uh coach out of him. Um Anyway, that's Bath versus Leicester and Ellis Genge. We've got one more match to discuss. Bristol versus Newcastle. Wow. I'll tell you what. <laughs> wow, baby. What a fucking closely fought nail-biting contest that was. Holy shit. Bristol have proven me wrong in that i still think they'll be the team to get rele- relegated eventually but it's going to be close and they are competitive and they are not like the other teams that have been yo-yoing up and down in uh, from the premiership um playing the most exciting rugby in the league throwing everything like just 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 offloading everything um they're just so fun to watch You know, that match sums up the, competit- the competitiveness of the whole premiership that we're in this situation where Newcastle are at the bottom of the league. N- nobody really feels like they deserve to be there. But that's the thing. No one really deserves to be at the bottom of the premiership. It's a weird situation where there's sort of an argument for ring fencing, but also a great argument for why ring fencing shouldn't happen, you know, because... On the one hand, it's exactly what you want, okay? You want competitive matches. You don't want to know who's going to get relegated at the beginning of the season. But on the other hand, you don't want anyone getting relegated because they're too good. Very tricky situation we're in. Who would have thought that Newcastle would be bottom of the league? I mean, it's they're always in the lower half of the league. But after last season, you definitely got the sense that Dean Richards had built this team that we're developing and might actually be really competitive this year. Um, and obviously they started with a bang in Europe, but bottom of the league now, you know? Um, Halfway through the season, Bristol and Worcester aren't too much of a surprise in their position, but even Worcester again, they sort of hinted last season and early this season that they're, they're too good for relegation. But here we are, Newcastle, Worcester and Bristol, One of them, almost certainly, not necessarily anything can happen, but you would have to say one of those three will be relegated. Or is it too soon to say that? I don't fucking know. It's halfway through the season. But let's see. If we look at the fixtures for next week, Worcester have Bath at home. I could easily see Worcester winning that. Newcastle have Harlequins at home. I could easily see Newcastle winning that. Bristol have Exeter at Sandy Park hmm can't see them winning that but even if if we look at the league table even if even if bristol lose to exeter and both newcastle and worcester win uh they may end up in the same position still because worcester and newcastle both on 1-3 lost eight both on 17 points bristol one four lost seven so if Worcester and Newcastle win and Bristol loses they'll be on the same number of wins but Bristol because of the exciting way they play have a shit ton more bonus points so they'll probably I suspect will probably be in the same position next week um but anyway that's that's that was fun I got pretty fired up about a few things didn't I um do you know what I want to do for fun I don't want to do the song again. You know, fuck! I'm gonna do. I, I shouldn't burden you with, this, with the with the misery I go through doing this silly little song thing. I think what I'm gonna do eventually is find a way to make the songs better and a way that I don't have to play the fucking keyboard every time. I just want to have a, a fucking song that I can just sing over, like karaoke style, and just fuck around with. But right now, I can't. I had planned on recording and playing my set from the from the week, from the the week weekend for you to listen to at the end of this, just for fun. I don't know if you would want to hear it. You probably would want to hear it because I'm in misery throughout it, but I'm not going to let you hear it because it pissed me off too much. I've already deleted it. What I am going to do for no apparent reason is record and play for you pirate, pirate erotica. Have you ever heard it? At some point, I was drunk at a party and a I found out that I was reading pirate porn erotica and it's very entertaining and I'm going to do it for no reason. And it, well, it might be a game changer. Anyway, you got that to look forward to. You got the song to listen to at the end. And remember, subscribe. This podcast, this is not on that many platforms. I can tell you it's on Acast. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Stitcher. It's on Google Podcasts, and it's on something else. Maybe other things. I should probably get it on more platforms, shouldn't I? But who gives a shit? Follow me on Twitter at Ranter or at Eddie Stevens MD or both. Most people do both, and then I tweet from both for no fucking reason. Um, thanks for listening, and uh, uh, enjoy. Pirate porn. Bye. Peter, a healthy 19-year-old, had been down on his luck and desperately needed a job. I'll give you a job, the plump, hairy captain of the Roger had said to him as he stood at the harbour. But you'll have to do as you're told, or I'll throw you overboard myself. I don't put up with laziness. Peter had been warned. Three days had passed since then, and Peter, unused to the heavy workload of life aboard ship, was feeling shattered. Now he'd been ordered to scrub out the captain's room, and finding himself to be alone next to the bed, he thought to himself, Nobody will miss me for a half an hour, so why not? He let out a big yawn and lay down on the comfortable bed, falling asleep almost instantly. He'd been asleep for a long time. He knew it as he lay there with his eyes still closed, but that was okay as his brother would wake him up when he was needed, he thought. He was still not properly awake as the smell of tobacco filled his nostrils and he slowly started to remember where he was. He opened his eyes and sat bolt upright, Darkness had descended, and for some reason he sensed danger in the room as he turned his head to look around. Sitting at his desk, smoking a cigarette, was the burly captain. Peter felt his skin crawl in horror at the sight of him. "'Stay right where you are, laddie, and don't move!' The captain's drink-slurred voice growled menacingly through the darkened room. "'What have you got to say for yourself before I throw you overboard?' Oh, please, please don't do that. I'm really sorry. Please don't throw me overboard. I'll do anything, but please don't do that. I beg of you. Peter could hardly keep his tears at bay as he begged for his life. The captain smiled knowingly at Peter from across the room. He had planned this scene since he walked into his cabin and found the boy lazing there standing over the sleeping figure he had felt the hardness grow between his legs the captain stroked his beard and took another sip of his rum purposely not saying anything for a couple of minutes he was enjoying this knowing the lad would be sitting there sweating ah you'll do anything then will you lad he said after enough time had passed yes captain i'll do anything please i'll do anything you want as long as i'm not thrown to the sharks peter replied replied softly his lips trembling Another minute's silence. The captain could feel his erection trying to burst free from his trousers. Okay then, boy. But remember, as soon as you say no to anything, then you'll be whipped to an inch of your life and then thrown over. Do you understand me? He spoke slowly, drawing the treat out for as long as possible. Peter's heart leapt with joy at being given another chance. He hadn't expected this, as over the last three days he had seen what a ruthless man the captain really was. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Captain. I won't disappoint you again, I promise. Lighting a candle on the desk, the captain said, Right then. Get your ass over here now, boy. Peter jumped off the bed and almost ran to him. He could to do anything to put himself back in the captain's favour. <laughs> strip the captain ordered as soon as he was standing between his open legs without wondering why peter removed every part of clothing and within seconds was standing in front of his captain stark naked kneel down between my legs the captain said his mouth watered up at the sight of the hairless body in front of him peter did as he was ordered without hesitation he sank to his knees then he glanced between the captain's spread legs and with horror "'realized what was going to happen. "'He felt sick to his stomach. "'He was still a virgin with the girls. "'He's certainly never done anything with a man. "'He watched nervously as the captain undid his trousers "'with his big, hairy hands. "'Suck on my dick!' the captain ordered "'as he took out his fat erection "'and waved it in front of Peter's lips. "'Peter's eyes nearly bulged out of their sockets "'at the sight of the monster, but he knew he had no choice. "'He took a deep breath and gingerly leant forward. "'Go on!' "'Suck my dick now or you go overboard,' the captain said. He grabbed Peter's hair and tugged his head downwards, forcing his youthful lips to open up wide as his hard dick slid into the warm mouth.' Peter couldn't believe he was actually sucking on another man's cock. He was scared and nervous at first, but soon got the hang of it as it slipped in and out of his mouth. In fact, he realized he was enjoying it as the captain's pre-cum leaked out onto his tongue. His jaw started to ache and his lips felt bruised. They were tingling, but he carried on with vigor as he found himself getting aroused. He could feel his own erection sticking up between his legs and hard against his flat stomach, That's enough, boy, his captain said, realizing that he was close to shooting his load down the kid's throat. Bend over the desk. I'm going to fuck you. I'm going to fuck you like the whores in the harbour. You're going to be my own personal whore while we're on this ship. Now bend over. He watched smiling as Peter stood up and bent obediently over the desk. I'm going to enjoy shoving my cock up your arse, boy, the captain said. He looked at the smooth crack in front of him, and then stood up behind the lad and placed his cock head right against Peter's as yet untouched hole. Lying naked over the desk, Peter felt the captain's hard cock in between his cheeks. He started to feel panic arise within him, but he didn't move. All of a sudden, white-hot pain shot through him, and he thought he was going to pass out. The captain using only his own saliva for lubrication, rammed his thick cock straight up into the boy's tight hole. Peter screamed out loud as the captain withdrew all the way and then plowed his cock right back up again to the hilt. That's it! Scream, you fucking whore! Scream! The captain shouted as he kept on battering the inside of Peter's ass. At first, Peter thought he'd never known pain like it, and he did scream, but the pain soon went away and he found himself thrusting his ass backwards, wanting more. Oh, God. There was another pain, but not so hard as the captain started to slap his ass with his hand as he banged away, touching Peter's prostate with his cock with every thrust. Peter, still clinging onto the desk for his life, soon felt his cock start to throb, and with a loud moan, he came under the table. "'Get back on your knees in front of me, boy!' I'm going to come, the captain ordered as he withdrew his cock from the the Peter's warm, tight hole. As soon as Peter was on his knees, the captain stroked his hard cock a couple of times and let off a volley of hot cum right into Peter's upturned, cute face. He watched in excitement as shot after shot splattered over the lad's astonished face, and he watched as Peter licked the cum off his lips. When he was fully spent, he slapped his cock around Peter's face a few times to remind him who was the boss. From now on, you're going to be at my beck and call. Whenever I need my cock service and you're going to bend over for me, I don't care where it, where it will be on this ship or even if it's in front of other men. Do you understand me, boy? Yes, Captain. My ass is yours, Peter replied. Only this time, he was more than happy to oblige. And that was The Cabin Boy <laughs> by Neil Gosling. Neil Gosling at GayDemon.com If you enjoyed today's gay pirate porn, uh, let me know on Twitter and we'll do more. I enjoyed it, although not all of it. It did get uncomfortable at times. I guess that just comes with the territory. No pun intended. All right, I'm not doing a song because that was too good. Bye-bye.